it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Now listen, all I'm saying is, is that New Year's Eve would be so much better if it happened at 7 p.m. Can we just work on that? We can fix the whole daylight saving time and and then change New Year's Eve to 7 p.m. I think we'd be in good shape. Hey, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. You'll find me online at Talk Radio Joe. You can find out more information about Brian Kilmeade. Just go to briankilmeadeshow.com. I'll be here with you uh, today, and I'm very excited to be here with you today. We've got some great guests that are going to be joining us. Uh, We've got uh, some, some New Year's Eve activities to talk about we know we have a big orange here in orlando florida where i live in the in the florida freedom zone and we've got a giant orange here in orlando that drops right at midnight um, not terribly unlike the crystal ball that drops in times square probably a few uh, fewer people than in New York City, and certainly it's going to be quite a bit warmer than it is in New York City. I want to welcome our first guest to the Brian Kilmeade Show as John Levine is joining us, uh, writer for the New York Post. Hey, John, how are you? I'm great. I'm much colder than you. Up yeah. Here, but otherwise, great. So it's 50 right now in Orlando. Uh, it's probably in the, what, 20s? It's, it, yeah. I, don't, I try not to look at it. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's yeah, 20s, teens, sometimes at night. Yeah, and you, do you have still, snow on the ground still? I don't have any snow here. There's okay. just a lot of ice. But New York City doesn't. It's it's tough to keep snow on the ground in New York City. It's going to be a real blizzard. Haven't now, had that yet. We've got a lot to cover with you, and if you don't mind, let's jump right in here. Uh, if you're watching, if anybody is watching network newscasts, you are probably unaware of the the latest in the Twitter files. Uh, because the networks seem to be disinterested in it. They don't seem to think it's news. Uh, we do. You do. Uh, what is the latest on the Twitter files, John? Well, now they've started delving into uh, the coronavirus situation and what steps Twitter took to censor different voices and dissenting voices during the coronavirus debates that we had last year. And, you know, I, I know we're all happy that's in the rearview mirror mostly now, but you know, there was a time in the original, if you'll remember, two weeks to stop the spread and then all the subsequent decisions that were made where we didn't really have a roadmap and, and the whole country was kind of winging it. And Twitter was sort of acting as our public square where, you know, lay people, doctors, academics, everyone, pundits could all sort of weigh in. And Twitter, over time, increasingly tipped the scales on behalf of certain narratives favored by the government, often being pressured by the government. And as a result, shut down a lot of debates that were critical to have, that were necessary to have. And there were a lot of mistakes made during the whole coronavirus period in many different areas, which maybe could have been avoided if we'd had a more robust marketplace of ideas where they could have been discussed, all the pros and cons elaborated on. And we just didn't have that because Twitter put their thumb on the scale. 
You know, I, I mentioned this yesterday on the show, and I remember when I was a teenager, I used to, I used to think, why would the government ever lie to us? Why would the government not want us to – they are the ultimate authority, the government is. It's, it's other people that will lie, and, and of course I have since grown up and, and realized quite the opposite. And, uh, but, but there are still plenty of people, adults, grown adults, who believe lock, stock, and barrel everything the government says. Well, yeah. I mean – the short answer to that is some people don't ever grow up. Yeah, perhaps. perhaps <laughs> and, you know, that's it's like the case. I have I have some like some some really old timers at my Thanksgiving who are voting for Bernie Sanders and telling me about the wonders of socialism. And it's like wow, some people never leave college. Uh, it's very sad, you know. I I, I I for me, it's nothing but sadness. And you know, particularly when it gets to issues like whether we should have closed the schools when 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 you know it was we knew kids were at the very least risk of coronavirus. For coronavirus is very deadly if you're morbidly obese or you have pre-existing conditions or you're very old. But if you're a kid, you're healthy, you're in school, it's, it's virtually no risk. And we, we closed their schools. We forced kids to do remote learning for you know, almost two years. And, and, then we, and then we learned that you know, because you know, Twitter is following the CDC guidance, but the CDC guidance is being written by the teachers' unions. So what is going on? I, yeah, it, I don't have an answer. It leaves it really leaves you uh, and, and regrettably, it leaves American citizens uh, to look for alternate sources for truth. And and some are finding, you know, conspiracy stuff that's just ludicrous, whereas some of the early on conspiracies have proven to be true. Right. The problem with conspiracy theories is when they turn out to be true, you kind of cheapen the entire term of a conspiracy theory. So. When, 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 when you say, well, I think such and such, and it's like, oh, it's a conspiracy. That's not true. You, you can say, well, you know, coronavirus was made in a lab. That was a conspiracy theory. Then it turned out to be true. So what else is, is a conspiracy theory that, that is, is actually true and around the corner? Now, you know, we got to be there, – there is some stuff out there. It's sad because the traditional media is where Americans used to go for news. Yep. And you probably – I don't know how old you are, but you probably remember there was a time when it was like Walter Cronkite, <laughs> Burrow, and that was it. Yeah. And if Walter three, said three it, networks. that was it. Yep. And we don't have that anymore. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's good that Americans should, should seek out a multiplicity of voices, but it also has allowed – you know, the real grifters like Alex Jones and some of the real crazies to, to peddle snake oil to a lot of Americans. So there are Americans out there that still believe like Trump is still president. Oh, you know, yeah. I do, run, I do run into them occasionally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there, so it's the decline of the mainstream media ecosystem has had costs and benefits. But overall, I think it is a good thing that Americans have more options to get news from and can previously get news that they that would have been impossible like these these uh twitter files total blackout on mainstream media but now thanks to twitter and thanks to august outlets like foxnews.com and the new york post people can go and read about them in full they they can indeed in fact i'm looking at some of your new york post columns and i see that your your mayor was uh, mia during the worst winter storm y'all have had in a long time of course he was he's probably at a party he's probably at the beach was he? Didn't he go to the island somewhere? He went to. Allegedly, he was in Jamaica, but that is allegedly. Of all of you all know. times to not be there for your city. 
Right, right, in the middle of a, middle of a blizzard. Well, look, he, he likes to have fun. We know that. It's like if you want to run into the mayor, I can give you a list of nightclubs and a list of high-end <laughs> dinner spots in Manhattan, and you'll definitely run into him. It's good to be the king. Yeah, exactly. Now, we talked about George Santos yesterday on the Brian Kilmeade Show uh, as he uh, admits now to fabricating – well, he says embellishments on his resume. I, I find them to just be outright lies uh, on his resume. Uh, what is your take on his future in the Congress? Well, they are outright lies. I mean, let's, it's, you know, it's very clear they're outright lies. But I have a question for you. Yes. I don't understand when a lie is is a, is a deal breaker, career ending lie. But so I've, is, is it a, is, so lying about working at Goldman Sachs is a deal breaker, career ending. But lying about being a Native American for your entire career, yeah. and being the first Native American professor at Harvard, yeah. and that's all baloney. That's fine. Or Richard Blumenthal lying about serving in Vietnam, or dozens of, or, of folksy falsehoods, I believe the New York Times called them, from Joe Biden over the years. So lying is wrong. I want our politicians to be upstanding public servants who only tell the truth. But I also want you know unicorns and puppies to rain from the well, sky. It's not something that is <laughs> – but- I understand because I'm you – know, again, we're adults. It's not always realistic. I wish he wasn't covered in lies, but he's certainly not going to be unique in this or any Congress. Yeah, but he uh, and and this this I, I got a message on Facebook yesterday as as I said that this is ridiculous that this guy lied the way that he did, and I, I think he's, that he should have sh- you know should be so ashamed that he would say you know what I I resign uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go away and you guys can elect somebody else. Uh, I don't know how they didn't find this out in in the opposition research. It's a shame they they didn't find this out until after uh, that he got elected. Um, but, yeah. you know, what about isms uh, drive me crazy? Because, you, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, um, I mean, if you point at any politician and we can enumerate their lies, uh, but, th- you know, we can only discuss when we're calling balls and strikes what's happening right here, right now. And right here, right now, George Santos uh, is about to, you know, to take the oath of office uh, yeah. on, a, on a resume that's fabricated. It's not great. I'm, I'm the, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not great, and I actually think it's worse than what we currently know, because there are there is there's two questions. I mean, the big question is the money. He loaned his campaign like six or seven hundred thousand um, dollars, which when I saw that, I thought, okay, well this, this checks out. He's a banker, Goldman. He's sure. finance. Right. People always said that to me, but because that's all not true, then well, where does this loan come from? And it, it, will there be an investigation, though? Is anybody going to look, look into that? Well, see, the problem is the House majority is so, so slim, and he's a dedicated McCarthy voter. And Kevin needs every single member he can get. Yeah. He, he literally cannot afford to lose even one. Yep. He's, he's going on a tightrope here. And so, I mean, everyone I know in leadership in the House is basically this is just like a hear no evil, see no evil we just got – he needs to be seated in Congress and vote for Kevin, and that's the first, first priority order business. And there will be no action taken against him until at least that happens. We're talking to New York Post writer John Levine here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. You can join us at 866-408-7669. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about Tesla. Boy, did they have a drop, massive drop in their stock prices. Uh, We're going to break that down with John Levine coming up next here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. 
You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show my heritage is jewish i've always identified as jewish i was raised a practicing catholic i think i've gone through this even i not not being raised a practicing jew i've always joked with friends and circles even with in the campaign i'd say guys i'm jewish remember i was raised catholic so look i understand everybody wants to nitpick at me i I'm going to reassure this once and for all. I'm not a facade. I'm not a persona. I, I have an extensive career that I worked really hard to achieve. And I'm going to deliver from my experience because I remain committed in delivering results for the American people. I campaigned on inflation. I campaigned on crime. I campaigned on education. I campaigned on delivering resolve for the American people. That is uh, George Santos on uh, Tucker Carlson last night. Santos, of course, uh, just elected as a Republican uh, to the U.S. Congress, and we now know that he lied on his resume. I mean, the the, the same resume, resume upon which he campaigned. I mean, he lied. He lied about his job. He lied about his college. Uh, I mean, he just the, the guy has no shame. I've heard uh, Fox's Jimmy Fallon talk about the the loss of shame. We just have no shame anymore, and and I think that's the case. I mean, if I was if I was this guy, George Santos, first, I wouldn't have lied. Uh, and second, I would be so ashamed, so embarrassed for myself that, that I, I'm sorry, but I would say, that's it, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, please accept my apologies, and I am out. And, and I would make room for someone else. If nothing else, though, the Democratic Party should be humiliated that they didn't catch this before the election, that they did not find this in their opposition research. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly at Talk Radio Joe. That's where you'll find me online. You can call in with whatever's on your mind today. It's 866-408-7669 as we continue our conversation with John Levine uh, from the New York Post. And and man, I, I looked at Reddit yesterday and everybody was flipping out about the shares of Tesla uh, with just a massive drop yesterday. What's going on there? Well, I, you know, Tesla is a question that depends who you ask. You know, if you ask Elon Musk, he would say that interest rates have gone up and people are withdrawing or just want to liquidate so they can have more cash. But it looks like to a lot more people that uh, you're saying a lot of things come at the same time. You're seeing consumer demand in the U.S. kind of start to slow down. You're seeing, you know, all the COVID craziness in China is hurting their factories in Shanghai. And he and and the elephant in the room is, of course, Twitter, which is he goes on Twitter every day and acts like a madman. He does. (laughs) And there's no sort of other way to say that. And at a certain point, he keeps selling Tesla shares to continue its financing of Twitter, which he promised he wouldn't do and then did. Um, and he says he won't sell any more shares till 2024. But how can you believe him? And he's 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 his his record at Twitter so far has been mixed. I would say very mixed. You know, it was it was said to be Abraham Lincoln who said this, but I I don't know if that's in fact true. But you know the the saying, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. 
And, you know, for a lot of us have thought Elon Musk is an absolute genius for what he has done with SpaceX, for what he has done with Tesla, the boring company and everything else that Elon Musk has been involved with. But not until the Twitter takeover did he really start to show, gosh, maybe this guy isn't the genius that we all thought he was. Well, it's sad because I actually I, I think he is still a visionary. I'm still like big picture, very bullish about Elon Musk and his future and what he'll contribute to the world. You know, SpaceX and Tesla, these are these are like I, I call, you know, they're known as zero to one companies. He's trying to do something completely new that didn't exist before. He's not just trying to make a toaster that's five percent faster or a a stupid game to play on your phone on the subway like everyone in New York is trying to make. Like the Dyson guy who just makes another form of a fan or a vacuum. Right. He's, he's, his companies are doing, like, world-changing stuff, going to Mars, rethinking cars. And it's, it's, to me, it's, like, it's sad that he's been diverted from these, these like, super, super important entrepreneurial ventures to, to run Twitter. And Twitter's a very important company, and I much prefer his ownership to the previous regime. Which, by the way, which should be said, even for all the mistakes, what we have with Twitter now is 100 times better than what we had before in terms of free expression. And it's important that that remain that way. But I think he should do what he said he was going to do and put in a CEO, uh, someone who shares his vision and values with the company, and just sort of step back and not tweet as much. Famous, the famous yeah. admonition, you know, just stop. Right. Turn off the computer. I remember a similar thing being said to Trump. Oh, so much time, and time, been time and time if, again. I, I feel like a Donald had a Trump. little self-control. Yes, if he would have stayed off Twitter, I, perhaps he would be president right He'd now. He'd be president right now. Yeah. We don't need to get into it. He'd be president right now. now by the way, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. So my 18-year-old daughter, who just went off to college, she's uh, a freshman at the University of Tennessee. And she uh, she's in town in Orlando uh, for her Christmas break. And we were together yesterday and she told me that what she really wanted for Christmas was a Dyson hairdryer. Wow. Would you care to guess how much a, a Dyson hairdryer costs retail? I don't know. Eight hundred have a hairdryer. Eight hundred dollars. That's a lot of money for for a hair dryer. I said, that's "Honey, I'll come over to your house with a towel, and I will dry your hair every day wow. if that's what you need." But I'm a not Dyson spending eight hundred dollars on a hair dryer. That's pretty crazy. Well, tell her to get a job. Yes, all right. Go buy her own hair dryer. John Levine from the New York Post. It is really nice talking to you. I hope you have a great New Year's. Thank you so much for your time uh, today. I really do appreciate it. It's always fun. Thank you for having me. You got it. <laughs> My name is Joe Kelly. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up next, we're going to go to your phone calls. So jump on now while you still can. Call 866-408-7669. You can also go to briankilmeadeshow.com. But if you want to get on a phone line right now, uh, whatever you want to talk about, we're game. I've got a couple things on my list. You might have a couple things on your list you want to talk about. Call 866 408 7669. We'll continue the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Joe Kelly. Stay right there. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. One of the very cool things about living here in the Florida Freedom Zone. Here in Orlando, Florida, WDBO is that we are within earshot and certainly eyeshot of our space launches. And this happened in the pre-dawn hours this morning. Three, two, one. 
That was a, a Starlink uh, launch, a SpaceX Falcon 9 carrying the next generation version of Starlink satellites lifted off this morning from Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida. I will tell you that as a, as a kid, I learned, <laughs> I learned everything I knew about the space program from watching I Dream of Genie as a kid, right? Um, I'd like to point out it was reruns. I didn't watch it first time live. I'm not that that old, but I'm old. Uh, but I loved watching I Dream of Genie. And if you ever come out to Cocoa Beach uh, in Central Florida, it's right there on the Atlantic coast. If you go to Cocoa Beach, you will find an I Dream of Genie Lane. There's a road named after I Dream of Genie, which I always thought was really, really cool. My name is Joe Kelly. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're welcome to join me now at 866-408-7669. We do have a bowl game here in Orlando tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. It is going to be the Cheez-It Bowl as uh, number 13 Florida State will take on Oklahoma in the Cheez-It Bowl tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll have that going on here in Central Florida. I'm excited about that as well. All right, let's jump to the phones here. Let's go to Roger, who's joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're on with Joe Kelly. Hi, Roger. Hi, how you doing? Very good, thanks. How are you? Well, I'm doing good. You know, uh, Musk and Trump are American citizens, and they have a First Amendment right for freedom of speech. Why is everybody trying to shut them up now? I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Uh, uh, everybody has the right to free speech. Who is trying to shut them up? Well, they did criticize this like your last guest said Trump shouldn't tweet, Musk shouldn't tweet. Right, but you realize that, but, that that's that guest's freedom of speech to say that, right? I just I just don't understand why everybody gets criticized for exercising their freedom of speech. So to be clear, you're criticizing people who criticize people who speak. Well, I'm just saying, to me, it's plain and simple. The Constitution gives every American the right for freedom of speech. Now, whether it's me criticizing somebody. Roger, but that doesn't mean that that you're not going to have someone disagree with you. You don't you don't you don't have you don't have the freedom to to not be challenged on your speech. No, I, I understand that completely. But I'm saying these guys have a right for freedom of speech like everybody else. That's all I'm saying. Roger, thanks for calling. I appreciate that. Let's go to David in Arizona. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Hi, David. Good morning. Good morning. Do you have something the you want to say? I'm calling is, yes, I've been following a little bit what's happening in China. and they, In 20 days, they've had over 250 million infections. You know, and that's and, that's part of the reason why that Tesla is having some problems, as they've had to shut down one of the Tesla plants there well, because our of COVID. Is it's the beginning. Our problem is because it's uh, it's getting the new year, and they've opened. There's no travel restrictions out of China now, so those uh, a lot of infected people are going to be going worldwide, probably by design again. So, do you do you think that we're going to have and, another wave, a giant wave here in the United States? Is that your fear? I haven't seen anything from our government that says they're going to stop travel or do anything to try to prevent it. Um, I, I will say that, uh, according to Bloomberg, 
The U.S. is now weighing a COVID prevention measures for travelers from China. So to answer your question, uh, you, you are a bit prophetic because, yes, they are working on that right now, it seems. Well, you know, they're working on border uh, security, too. But... Are they? Are they? <laughs> I feel like they're not. <laughs> it would be nice to hear from some actual politicians on, on what they plan to do about this, the China issue. Yeah, it would indeed. It could be another disaster here. I'm, let's hope not, okay, because uh, we don't want to go through that again. David, thank you so much. I'm glad you called. Let's go to Long Island where Davina is joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Davina. Hey, Joe. How are you? I am Happy living the dream. Kwanzaa. <laughs> Happy Kwanzaa to you, too. Yeah, no, wait, can so, I ask? Can, can I, I'm sorry. Wait, can I ask? Do you, do, you, do you celebrate Kwanzaa? Yes, I do. And, and what does that look like? So Kwanzaa is about um, the seven principles of um, of Kwanzaa, which basically is you know family um, self determination. There's every each seven days, it's something that you're supposed to work on, and it's you know things that you have to work on yourself. So it's more like self reflection and working with family. And it's not religion. So it's, it's, not it's not religious based. It's not commercial. So you can you can celebrate Kwanzaa and still celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah as an example. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have my daughter's converted um, to Judaism, so she celebrates um, Hanukkah. So we do that with her and um, we still celebrate Christmas. You know, we are a giant melting pot, Davina. And uh, I know that there are there are some of my well, my, my fellow uh, light complected people who roll their eyes at Kwanzaa. And and I know the origins are a bit suspect. The dude who originated it is a bit suspect. But uh, there, I, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. And if if that is something that helps your family, if something that that you love, then I'm I'm really excited for you. Thank you so much. And I know so you. Want, I wanted to talk about yeah. Santos. Yes. Okay. Santos. Again, for anybody who's just tuning in, this is the guy, Republican from New York, just elected to the Congress. He's a representative elect. He's not taken office yet, but he lied on his resume, lied about his jobs, lied about his college education. He calls them embellishments. I think most people would call it a lie. Go ahead. So, yeah, I don't I honestly I don't think anybody really cares about, you know, who he married and now he's gay or what his education Wait, was. Is he gay? Did you, are oh, we, yeah, he has a husband. He supposedly has a husband, yeah. Santos does. That's correct. Okay. So I think those are the Ill, irrelevant, scandalous part of it that really isn't going to do anything. I think the bigger concern is that supposedly, and he loaned his campaign $700,000 yeah. when he wasn't even making that kind of money, and right. he has to pay that money back. Where did that money come from? And then the connections to FTX. Um, donations that they were taking in the same cycle that were um, over the limit. Yeah, no doubt Not about that. Not to mention, that. if you look at the F- if you look at his FEC reports with the expenditures, his treasurer, her name is Nancy Marks, was the same treasurer for Lee Zeldin, um, Robert mm. Cornicelli, for Edward Cummings. That they have anonymous expenditures of one hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents, which is one cent yes. shy of the actual reporting. To anonymous, don't to anonymous payers. How interesting! Davina, you do, you've done your homework on this. And hundreds of payments. So Nancy Mark actually registered his um, uh, Devaldi is the other name that he has Devalder uh, for Congress down in her house in Shirley. 
So there is some serious um, ethical and maybe criminal problems going on well, with and, this Nancy Mark and Davina, within the if, campaigns, which are tied to Zeldin and to uh, Cornicelli as well as Danton. Davina, if there's so much there there, how did the Democrat Party, how did his opponent not pick up on this in opposition research? You know what? That's a very good question. I don't know, but I know there's going to be a big press release coming tomorrow and Nassau uh, criminal um, court, Nassau County courts uh, tomorrow at 11 o'clock. So if anybody's interested in going down there, maybe that we can find out why that was. Sounds like, uh, Davina, it sounds like you've got a vested interest in this. Is that your district? No, I'm actually in Farmingdale. Got it. Okay. Davina, listen, I'm glad you called. Happy Kwanzaa to you and your family, and and have a great New Year's. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's go to uh, John in South Bend, Indiana. John, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Joe Kelly. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? Perfect. I was just wondering why everybody's so upset about the representative kind of fudging on his resume. Kind of fudging? Yeah, I mean... Who cares if he went to college or not? He's just practicing what every politician does is is lie. I would look. He listen, just started early. I I don't have a problem that he didn't go to college. I don't have a problem that he didn't work at J.P. Morgan. I only have a problem that he claimed he did. I mean, he he could have been elected just fine without the lies. Uh, but when you're when you're lying for a job application, if you and I lied on our resumes for for any legitimate job. And, and it was determined that the, the main part of the resume, which is going to be your work experience and your education, he lied about the two main parts on his resume. I mean, that to me is, a, is an unforgivable sin. Okay, let me ask you. I said, if you ever got fired from a job, did you tell them exactly on your new resume why you got fired? That no. like you well, swore you don't, at you the don't, boss or anything? Yeah, you don't put that on a resume anyway. That's something you discussed that's, during, that's, during the interview. They ask you. They ask you why you left the job. That not on a resume. They'll they'll ask you that in an interview. But but on okay, a resume. What would, t- what would I say if I, I got if if I got fired? I would say I got fired. Of would course, you in, tell them why you got fired. Did you swore at the guy? <laughs> well, I haven't sworn at any guys, but if if there was an excuse like that, I, I might try to sugarcoat it some. Uh, uh, okay, that right. would be. I would consider that lying. Yeah, I, I I would too, I would too, uh, but but the putting guy, it but putting it on paper and campaigning on it for months is is different than sugarcoating uh, why you got fired from a job. Maybe he thinks he really did do all that stuff. So he, <laughs> I don't think he does because he has since walked it all back. So I don't I don't uh, think it's a, a matter of self delusion. I think everybody's jumping to something that's not necessary. Now, the money thing the woman talked about earlier, mm-hmm. I'm concerned about that. But as far as fudging on a resume, that's that's just garbage that nobody needs to know anyway. Oh, I so disagree. So disagree. But I do appreciate that, John. Thank you so much for calling. Uh, I, 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 I had a boss years and years and years ago who gave me some sage advice, and I have remembered it to this day. And he said, if you have to, if you even have to think twice about something, it's wrong. And if, if you're putting together a resume and, and you're fabricating out of thin air, you're making up a life that you did not live, certainly at some point your mind would say, 
gosh, I'm not sure if this is right. And in that scenario, you should stop immediately and and discontinue your lies. I just I can't I can't lie and I can't I, I can't accept people who lie. I mean, lying to me is is um, is an absolute deal killer. My name is Joe Kelly. We're going to take more of your phone calls coming up in a moment. You can jump online right now at 866-408-7669. You can go to briankilmeadshow.com. More of your calls and comments coming up straight ahead. Stay right there. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I agree with what you're saying, and as I stated and I continue, we can debate my my resume and how I worked with firms such as Goldman. Is it debatable or is it just false? Is it debatable or is it just false? No, no, it's not false at all. It's it's debatable. I can I can sit down and explain to you what you can do in private equity, in in capital intro, via servicing limited partners and general partners, and we can have this discussion that's going to go way above the American people's head. But that's not what I campaigned on. I campaigned on delivering results wow. for the American people by, by lowering inflation. I can sit down, and if you want to have that discussion, I'd be glad to Tulsi to explain that to you Co- and make Congressman sure that we, we we settle the score. Yeah, that is Congressman-elect Santos last night on Tucker as uh, Tulsi Gabbard was guest hosting. She rocks it, by the way. Uh, We're talking about George Santos once again uh, today as Santos lied on his resume about his job, about his uh, his education. Uh, We do have – by the way, we do have breaking news. Where did we put that breaking news sounder? Does anybody have the breaking news sounders? Aha! Breaking news, this just in, uh, to the caller's point a moment ago about screening arrivals from China or travel restrictions, Italy just announced that all China arrivals will be screened for COVID. So at least uh, 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 Italy is doing that for now, and we'll see if anybody else is going to be doing that as well. Hopefully the United States will put in some sort of uh, restriction on that. My name is Joe Kelly. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. You can join me at 866-408-7669. You can go to briankilmeadeshow.com. Let's go to Craig in Indiana. You're on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Craig. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Good. Very good. Yeah. Um, This Santos guy... Um, this is the first time I've heard about it, but really, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they all lie. Every politician lies. Even even Donald Trump said Hillary Clinton would be in jail. She's not there. She should be. She lied to Congress. She lied under oath. That's a, that's a felony. Sure. Now, that, now, these are lies of people who are already in office. Well, yeah. Yeah. And um, so what? I mean, he did what he did had to do to get there, and now – the only person that can fire him now is his his constituents. So, so doing whatever you have to do to get the seat is acceptable to you. We don't no, have to absolutely have absolutely not, absolutely not. But he's not doing anything different than everybody else. I don't think that. Um, I think that you know Nancy Pelosi didn't run on turning San Francisco into a war zone, did she? <laughs> Um, if if this guy Santos had a D instead of an R next to his name, would you feel the same way? Oh yeah, you oh, you would yeah. you would be okay with him lying on his resume, lying about who he is, just to get elected to office. Well, 
here's two things. One, I blame his constituents because they voted for him with doing no homework. I, I, I'm not from New York, so I don't care because really the House isn't nothing. You can run for the House and you can be in the House for years and do nothing. Yeah. I mean, you can do that in Plenty the Senate. Plenty of people too. do. Yep. Yeah. But in the Senate, it's a little bit different because you're running for a whole state. You know, a House is just one, what? Maybe. Yeah, it's one district. Yeah, 100,000 people. Yeah. So really, him lying about it, that's just, you know, that, that's, he's from New York. I mean, what do you expect? I, I'm, you know? I'm, I got to tell you, I'm just really surprised so many people that are giving this guy a pass. Uh, that just well, is, is, a, is a surprise to me. It's disappointing me to me, wrong. honestly. I don't, think, I don't think it's right for him to do it. But I don't, also don't think that you should just vote for somebody because he's a Republican or because he's a Democrat. If you don't do your homework. It's on you. It's on all his constituents that voted for him. That's who, that's where the problem lies. So I, I, I would suggest maybe not the constituents, definitely the Democratic Party for not opposition research and the media for not vetting this guy properly. The, the New York media <laughs> yeah, should have done. But I don't think constituents generally have the power, uh, the, the wherewithal to be able to check someone's resume to see if, in fact, they worked at J.P. Morgan. How would a constituent even go about doing something like that? It would be nearly impossible. Um, you'll be surprised at some of the things you can find on the internet. Well, I know people dox people all the time, and and that guy really should have been should have been doxed in that scenario. Yeah, he should have. And, he should yeah. have. And, and I don't know if he is he a Democrat or a Republican. He's a Republican. Craig, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate that. We will, uh, uh, of course, continue to discuss this in the days, weeks, and months ahead, and see what happens with Santos. My name is Joe Kelly. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And uh, you can join us. Find out more details when you go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. My name is Joe Kelly in for Brian Kilmeade once again today. And I got to tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you here. If for whatever reason, if for whatever reason your phone rings and someone says, hey, we need you to guest host the Brian Kilmeade show, you should do it. It is it is an absolute uh, trip. It's an honor. It's exciting to host the Brian Kilmeade show. Uh, I, I have uh, met with Brian so many times uh, and, you know, Brian often talks about as he's touring around and, and talking about his books and he's always making appearances. Uh, there's a couple things I have to tell you. One, if Brian comes to your community, it is truly, truly, truly worth going uh, to see him, uh, to meet with him, to shake hands with him, to get pictures with him. He is as nice of a guy in person as he is on the radio. He is as genuine as he sounds on the radio. I'm not going to lie. I'm a fanboy of Brian Kilmeade. And so for that reason alone, uh, it is such a treat for me to be able to sit here uh, in his chair and host the show in his absence. And when I say in his chair, technically I am in a a different chair in a different state. Coming to you from the Florida Freedom Zone in Orlando, Florida at WDBO. That is uh, Brian's Orlando, Florida affiliate. 
and uh, we're, we're thrilled to have Brian as part of our radio station lineup. Uh, our next guest here, in fact, if you're on hold right now, stay right where you are. We're going to get back to our phone calls coming up in just a minute, but I, I asked – uh, requested our, our next guest to be on the show because there's a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack here. Uh, joining us for, for the first time on the Brian Kilmeade Show is Jim Nels. He's an economist and supply chain consultant. He's based out of Chicago, served as a chief procurement officer, chief supply chain officer, and chief, op, uh, chief operations officer for multiple companies, a consultant now. Jim Nels, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you. And to the people in the free state of Florida, uh, greetings from the People's Republic of Chicago. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I want to start with, with Tesla. So Tesla is clearly having some problems right now, and it seems like most of their problems are coming out of supply chain issues out of China. Um, I think it's that, and I also think that um, Elon Musk, as much as I, I love him as, a, as an innovator, is one of these guys that every time he sees a butterfly and wants to run off and chase it. Um, it, it, it's really hurting them. But they're in a situation now where their Shanghai factory is only going to produce for less than two weeks in the month of January in order to accommodate for uh, Chinese New Year. They're having significant supply issues there. They're having issues with workers because of COVID. And we're starting to see some of that reflected in Tesla shares. Tesla shares were down about 11.5% yesterday. They're at about 109. I don't know what they're doing this morning. But they're down at their lower, lowest level since August of 2020, and they're down almost 73%. So uh, the shareholders and the, the board at Tesla is not very happy with Mr. Musk, the way he's handling Tesla while uh, trying to get Twitter back up on their seat. Jim, I remember years ago having a conversation with a listener, and he said that, that he vowed he would never, ever, ever buy anything made in China ever again. And my response was, good luck. Uh, because it's hard it's hard to find things, everything, that's not made in China. It's like trying to get Google out of your life. Yeah. It's just almost impossible to do it. Um, you know, we, we've created such a global supply chain where everything is interrelated that even if you don't buy a product that was made in China, there's a good chance that a large number of the components that go into that uh, product were made in China. We're starting to see companies try to get away from that. We're seeing a huge repatriation of the supply chain back to the USMCA area, especially the United States and in Mexico. But one of the other interesting things that we're starting to see is that China is investing heavily in building plants in Mexico, especially in the Monterey region. So they're investing billions of dollars to build new plants in Mexico so that they can continue to supply Americans with you know, low-cost products. Um, that's just kind of how the supply chain works. But, well, wait, uh, so so if yeah, China is opening plants in Mexico, who is staffed at those plants? Are they Mexicans or Chinese? It's a mix. It's a total mix. Um, and we, we saw the the, uh, the Koreans do this with both LG and Samsung uh, when they built both uh, plants to make TVs and refrigerators in, in Mexico. So it's a it's a tried and true model, and it employs both, like you said, uh, Mexicans and Chinese. But it also reduces the cost in the U.S. It reduces the supply chain variability. But the one thing I don't want to discount is the amount of investment in American manufacturing that's going on now. The investment in American manufacturing year over year is up over 20 percent. So from Salt Lake City to Mobile, Alabama, new plants are going up everywhere. And folks are really looking towards a made-in-America type of brand now, like we saw in the 80s. 
And the positive thing about this is that this investment is going to stay here for a long time. So looking forward to the next 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to see a lot more products made in the USA. We're talking to Jim Nels. He's an economist and supply chain consultant here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. Our number is 866-408-7669. I want to go back to Mexico uh, for just a moment here. I want to circle back to that, Jim. Uh, so if it's a Chinese plant... And it's staffed, you know, half and half, let's say, with with Chinese workers and Mexican workers. Uh, when the product comes off of the uh, off of the, the the floor, the factory floor, what label is on it? Is it made in China or made in Mexico? Because either way, in, it's but it's lining the pockets of the Chinese. No, it's made in it's made in Mexico, so you avoid all the tariffs that happen uh, for the Chinese. You get to take advantage of all the USMCA. Um, you know, free trade zone agreements that are that are in place, and like you said, it lines the pockets of the Chinese. Which so it's it's kind of deceiving because if, like I said, that the 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 caller that I spoke to years ago about I'm never going to buy anything made in China, you could buy something with a made in Mexico sticker, but the principle of trying to not line the pockets of China has failed because you've been duped because of the sticker on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is something that President Trump tried to address early on in his presidency that didn't get a lot of attention, which was a, a, a truth and labeling uh, exercise that he wanted to get done. And he, he didn't get it done, but he wanted to be able to say if something was, you know, 51 percent made in a, a country other than the country that it was labeled in, he wanted to make sure that it was given credit for the country that it came from. And right now, basically, what happens is in a lot of situations, depending on the tariff situation, it's basically the last dollar that gets put into a product is what um, gets the credit for where the product is made. Now, address, if you will, Jim, uh, artificial intelligence and robotics when it comes to the supply chain. And uh, for for a great many Americans, I know that there is a, a nagging a nagging fear that our jobs will be replaced by artificial intelligence or by robots. And, and Joe, I may say something very unpopular here. A lot of it needs to be. Uh, if you look at our, our infrastructure right now for the supply chain of the United States, or our ports, there was a recent study of the top 350 ports in the world. Um, and the port of Los Angeles, the port of Long Beach ranked dead last in terms of efficiencies. And the reason of that is that the labor unions in those ports, the, uh, the, the, the folks that are doing the work there have refused to let the ports automate. They've refused to increase the ability to offload ships. So they're basically offloading ships the same way they were done in the 1700s, other than the fact that we're using cranes instead of people. But we're not augmenting with, with AI. We're not scheduling via AI. We're not scheduling the, the trucks to pick up. The, the containers via AI, and it's making these ports incredibly inefficient. If you contrast that to a port like the Port of Charleston, South Carolina, which is a great private-public partnership, they're investing heavily in automation. They're investing heavily in making the port more efficient, and they've had a couple of months where they've become the largest port in the United States because people don't want to take the chance of shipping something to L.A., and having it sit there for three, four, five weeks while they wait to get it unloaded. Yeah, sure. Now, you, you add the, the shipping issues uh, to the rail issues, and that further exacerbates the problem. Where do we stand with the threat of a rail strike? So the 
threat of a quote-unquote rail strike is over in the United States for the foreseeable future. What I'm not so certain about is if we're going to see a slowdown in rail service. Um, the four unions that did not um, approve the agreement that was put in place by the Presidential Emergency Board represents more than 50% of all the railroad workers. So while it was only four out of the 12 unions, it represented more than half of the employees. And they're still not happy about the, the decree that, that Congress put through. So we could foresee a situation where we see a significant slowdown in service. It hasn't happened yet, but it's something I'm keeping my eye on. The other thing I'm keeping my eye on is the fact that the port workers in the West Coast have been working without a contract since July, and there's no indications they're going to get a contract done anytime soon. And you can guarantee that they're looking at what the, the deal that the railroads got with a 25% pay increase retroactive for two years ago, saying, I want that. And then you top that off into a new law that went into place in California where any engine on a truck that is older than 2010 can no longer go into California. They just took 75,000 trucks off the road. Man. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the supply chain. But once again, it's self-inflicted wounds. None of this is a result of the economy. It's all self-inflicted by the government and by the unions. We're talking to Jim Nels, economist and supply chain consultant here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And I've got one more question for you. I want to ask you about farmers. But first, I want you to hear this. Uh, a Tennessee farmer and agricultural advocate, her name is Stephanie Nash. She was on Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, cut 18. Take a listen. We're going to see a lot of family farmers and ranchers going out of business next year, unfortunately, because of the loan increase, um, you know, with taxes with overall spending, inflation in our country. But the other thing Americans need to realize is, you know, in the beef market, there are four main packers, and they made marginal profits last year off beef farmers, and they're still selling off their cattle because of drought and situations and not being able to get feed in certain parts of our country. Your, your thoughts on, on farmers and the supply chain from, from what once was family farms, uh, now really corporate farms, to the American people's tables? And, you know, there's no one who feels worse for the family farmer than, than me. Um, but unfortunately, the, the economics of a family farm just don't work anymore unless you're going to go to some really high-end organic type of product. But what she said about other things, about uh, the, the drought and the cost of fertilizer and the cost of diesel, uh, is really impacting corporate farming as well, where folks can hardly stand to continue to keep their crops going. So we're seeing the harvesting of beef much earlier than they should be. We saw an avian flu go through. I don't know about your uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner. I couldn't find a turkey bigger than 13 pounds. Yeah, we had and beef. I, lo I love my turkey, man. And so I, I usually love that 25-pound bird. I had to go buy two 13-pound uh, birds <laughs> because the, they're just having issues with um, the ability for some of these animals to continue to, to, to go. Uh, if you think about back into early 2022, we saw a huge spike in the price of chicken wings, of all things. If you went to a bar to have some hot wings because of the fact that they were having issues with harvesting chickens. So the agriculture, I think, could be the big story of 2023 from an economics perspective, because I think we're going to see food shortages in some areas. And well, a lot of it, again, has to do with the cost of diesel the cost of fertilizer because of what's going on in Ukraine and the ability of the folks to just get product to market. Um, I wrote an article about a month and a half ago about how the, um, the drought was impacting the Mississippi River 
and it was impacting our ability to get grain to market because they shipped that down the Mississippi on on barges, and they couldn't get the barges to the Mississippi. So there's, there's it's going to be a very interesting 2023 that should keep people like me pretty busy for a while. Jim Nell's a supply chain consultant. You clearly know your ship. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, thank you so much. Have a, have a great New Year's, and uh, and I, I hope I'll talk to you again someday. Joe, my pleasure. Uh, happy New Year to you and your listeners. Good information from uh, Jim Nels here. My name is Joe Kelly. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We will take your calls coming up next at 866-408-7669. Stay right there. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And I made a mistake. And I think humans are flawed, and we all make mistakes, Tulsi. Um, I think we can all look at ourselves in the mirror and admit that once in our life we made a mistake. I'm having to admit this in national television for the whole country to see, and I have the courage to do so because I believe that in order to move past this and move forward and be an effective member of Congress, I have to face my mistakes, and I'm facing them. Um, The reality is is that I remain committed to doing everything I set forward in my campaign. I'm not a fraud. I'm not a fake. I, I, I didn't materialize from thin air. I worked damn hard to get where I got my entire life. Life wasn't easy. It didn't start off easy. As I've said it many, many times, I come from abject poverty. I made some mistakes, and I own up to them. And now I want to put this past me so I can deliver for the American people. That is uh, George Santos, Representative-elect George Santos, Republican out of New York on Tucker Carlson last night, hosted uh, guest hosted by Tulsi Gabbard, who, boy, rising star there, right? Tulsi Gabbard. Um, my name is Joe Kelly. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got a lot of people who want to talk about Santos uh, and the, the lies on his resume. I, I find it interesting. He says, I made a mistake, and I think humans are flawed. We all make mistakes. You know, a, a mistake, a lie that is a mistake would be let's, – let's say you go home and your, your wife says, hey, did you eat that last cookie? And instantly your mind just blurts out, no, no, I didn't eat. And then you realize, I don't know why I just lied. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. I did eat the last cookie. I don't know why. That would be a mistake. But when you fabricate out of whole cloth – Even though he says that, uh, you know, I didn't materialize this from thin air. Of course, he materialized it from thin air. He made it up and and he's a liar. And I don't know why anybody would give that guy a pass. Let's go to Arizona. Fred is joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi, Fred. Hi, this is Fred from Lake Havasu. Go ahead. You'll have to turn down your radio there, Fred. How are you doing? Hold good, on just good. a minute. Okay, we'll yeah, wait. I wanted to comment on this Santos thing. Yes. We we tend to use words inartfully. A lie is when you say something that's a willfully false statement with the intent to deceive. So then you agree yeah. that he lied on his he, he lied. Well, hold on. Did he lie? Yes. He said he was Jewish. His mother apparently goes through his grandmother. He's, he says he worked religion, at, at yeah. J.P. Morgan Chase. He didn't do that. He said he was a college graduate. He is not. But was it done with the intent to deceive? If all that information well, is why else would you write it public, on? Why else would you write it on your resume if it wasn't meant to deceive? Well, because he didn't deceive anybody if it was there for them to look at. Besides, the fact, the fact is, is that 
we have gone through years of flying, and it seems to be accepted. Well, right, but why, why accept it? Why, why would you accept this, Fred? I don't accept it. I don't accept his lying. Why, why would you accept it? I am just it? saying the reality is, and politics is, is a practice of reality, that this is, in fact, a real situation. We accept this because that's what we've grown to, learn, to live with as far as our politicians are concerned. All right, Fred, no. thank you so much for calling. Have a happy new year. Uh, I don't I don't see it that same way. I, I think lies are unacceptable, and I think we should call them out anytime we see them. I'm Joe Kelly. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, my name is Joe Kelly, filling in for Brian Kilmeade today. You can join me at 866-408-7669. Brian is enjoying some well-deserved time off with his family and his dogs. Uh, his, uh, his three gorgeous and massive uh, dogs. Uh, you should follow them on social media and you'll be able to see them. They're just gorgeous dogs. And, and what a great story about the, how we adopted those dogs. Uh, you can join us now at 866-408-7669 if you are just tuning in. We've been talking about a variety of things, but I think the thing that's really stuck with a lot of people is this George Santos issue. Uh, Santos just elected to the Congress, Republican out of New York. Uh, and come to find out, he lied on his resume. He lied about his college education. He lied about uh, his work history. I mean, those are the two most important things on someone's resume. And if you're in the private sector and it is revealed that you have lied on your resume, particularly before you actually take the job, imagine you've been hired somewhere and then the people who have hired you found out you lied on your resume. You know that they are going to pull back the job offer because you lied on your resume. Now, I know it doesn't work that way in the Congress, but shouldn't it? Shouldn't we find lying to be unacceptable? And for, for anybody who says, yeah, but what about? What about? What about Joe Biden? What about Hillary Clinton? What about uh, Pete Buttigieg? What about everyone? That's fine. That's whataboutism. But you know what? Let's let the left be the party of the lies. Let's hold the right to a higher standard. Let's let's be the party of we're not going to play this game. We're not going to do these shenanigans. Let's go to Jacksonville, home of uh, incredible talent like Rich Jones and Mark Kay on WOKV. Wade is joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi Wade. Hey, thank you very much for taking my call. I didn't uh, I didn't call to talk about that liar. To me he's a liar. Now I'm not going to believe anything he says, but uh Wanted to get your opinion on something. Um, I'm sure you're not going to like the idea, and you're much smarter that, than me at this. But I wouldn't say that. My 16 year old just give it time. Night, um, from a from a party, and he said, "You know, Dad, I'm only 16, and I have kind of political fatigue. How did you How did you stay away from this stuff?" I said, "Well, man, I grew up in the 90s. They didn't push this crap through to my pager. Um, yeah, I had a pager back then, so." He said, you know, it was interesting. I had a conversation with my friend's parents who are Democrats, and they seem to think a lot about like Republicans do, um, you know, kind of believed abortion to a certain point, but they don't really admit any of that stuff in public. I don't understand why we're so tribalistic. How do you really get away from that? You and know, I, and I, I wish terrible. I wish, Wade, there was a way. And I, I'm, I'm 100 percent with you on this. I, I hate what our nation has become 
and how we are so entrenched in our political silos and and we just sit and snipe and take shots and assassinate uh, verbally, you know, from our silos without getting to know our, our actual neighbors. You know, uh, God says to, to love your neighbors. Well, you can't love your neighbors if you don't get to know them. And even though I am a, a registered Republican and I vote Republican in almost every scenario, some of my absolute best friends in the world are liberal Democrats. I mean, they're not my enemies uh, I may not support them in elections, but I don't look at Democrats or people who oppose me politically as my enemies. And I think that's that's a path that we have gone down here in the United States, that we we start looking at, at someone who doesn't agree with us politically as an enemy. So what if we were to ever at some point, I know a third party candidate just does seem to work. They get tied up in the courts. They get sued by Republicans, Democrats, and the election's over. But what if we were to do something at some point, like do away with the R and the D and actually vote for somebody based on our, our moral and ethical values so you don't just walk into the booth and see an R, see a D, and just bam, your, 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 your circle goes for that person. I know it would never work. It's yeah, probably that, a terrible that, idea, but I thought it would be kind of cool to just vote for somebody based on politi- or, um, public service, not an R or a D. Well, you have to be able to know what their plans are, what they want to do, and and I, I get where you're coming from, but that would be a complete revamp of our political system, and that would mean that some of these politicians would have to actually give up power, power that they have their entire lives sought. And and while that's not a bad idea, you know as well as I do that it just ain't going to happen. Yeah, I didn't think so. Just a thought. But thank you for taking my call. Yeah, brother. Thank you, Wade, out of there in Jacksonville. Let's go up to Virginia Beach. Hank is joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Hi, Hank. Hey, Mr. Kelly. How you doing? I'm great, thanks. I saw that that spot last night with Kelsey Gabbard. She destroyed this guy, George Santos. Yeah, yep. And wasn't wasn't she great, by the way? Oh gosh, she rising star. Yeah. But when he asked, when she asked him about integrity, he just kind of skipped around it. And it's like that's a huge thing with me. So of course he's got to either step down or be impeached. I don't know what the process is, but two wrongs don't make a right. He kept saying, "Well, the Democrats do it. That doesn't make it right." I agree. It's like two kids, two kids. You know, yeah. the, the brother does some trouble, and the sister says, "Well, Joey did it. Still doesn't make it right." Absolutely. And look, I got to tell you. Um, I don't get the the loyal worship and following of, of Donald Trump or any politician for that matter because I, I I think we should hold all of them at arm's length. You know, we should have our, our own beliefs, our own belief system. We should have, uh, you know, an idea of what we want for America. But, you know, ultimately, at least in, you know, from my perspective, I mean, I, I worship the creator, not the created. And for for those that that follow politicians and worship them, I I I just can't relate to that, and that that's that's got to change. And did you did you catch when she asked him about you know his jobs and the finance, and he said, "Oh, it's over the average person's head." That was really right. That was horrible. Right? Yeah, we're all way too stupid to figure out these jobs you didn't have. Yeah, it is exactly. It, it is nuts. Hank, how thank. 
How does it work now? Like, if say, do they does the GOP put pressure on them to resign, or are they just going to try and keep the seat and, no, and oh, nobody the, can trust the guy? The, the Democrats well, have work? the Democrats have absolutely called him out. The 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 Democrats have, uh, and the the Republicans for the most part are either remaining silent or they're just waiting for him to take the oath of office because you know the Republicans want the numbers. They they just they they don't want it to see the R change to a D. Yeah, that that really gives a. Uh, it's a red flag to the red wave that didn't happen, right? Yeah, no doubt. Thank you so much, Hank. Have a great New Year's. Let's go to – hang on. Let me look at the clock here. All right, we're good. Uh, let's go to Port Ritchie, Florida. Tim is on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Tim. How you doing, Sam? Good. I just wanted to call in and say something about, you know, all these people that are calling in and making excuses for uh, this gentleman lying to get his job. It's uh, that kind of lets you know on how this world is going right now and what's wrong with this world because everybody's making excuses thinking it's okay just to blatantly lie to get into, you know, into the government. And that's exactly what's wrong with this world right now is it's just becoming too common for people and everybody just thinks it's okay. And that's exactly what is wrong right now. I, I'm right there with you. Tim, thank you so much for your call. I got to tell you that, that I, I, I learned pretty early on that I am not capable of lying. I'm not good at lying, uh, perhaps because I don't like lying. But I remember when I was – hang on. Let me just do the thing. I was probably 13 years old or so. This is such an embarrassing story. <laughs> my, my friends and I were skateboarding at a tennis, at a tennis uh, court. And I suddenly, out of nowhere, you know, impulsive teenagers, right? Suddenly, out of nowhere, I decided that I wanted to hurdle the tennis net on a concrete court. And as I hurdled, my front foot caught the top of the net, and I flipped over and landed directly on my face. And that was before I had braces, and and I I had a wild canine tooth that stuck straight forward, and that tooth went straight through my lip. And uh, my mother took me to the hospital and I got stitches and my lip became incredibly swollen like a grapefruit. And I had to go to school the next day. Well, I'm not about to tell a story. My ego wouldn't have it. that I'm going to tell a story that I I tried to hurdle a tennis net. How embarrassing is that? So I concocted this harebrained story that I was riding my motorcycle and I was being all cool and I fell on my motorcycle. And then what I quickly learned was, as I was telling that story, as I was telling that lie, is that I would have to tell a second lie to cover up for the first lie. And then I'd have to remember which people I told the lie to. And then I'd have to tell another lie to cover up for the lie and another lie to cover up. And I realized, you know what? I can't keep all these lies straight. So I I learned at a very early age uh, to to not lie uh, and it's just not necessary in most cases to, 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 to lie. There are very – you know, unless your wife turns to you and says, do, do, do my – do these pants make my butt look big? Uh, you know, that, that might be the only scenario where you might want to lie. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, lying is just a bad practice. It's bad business, and it is unacceptable to me. And, and particularly, as I alluded yesterday, since, since beginning my walk with Christ, uh, I just – I can't. I can't. I can't bring myself to lie, and I can't bring myself to accept 
blatant lies. Mistakes? Of course I accept mistakes. Of course we forgive mistakes. And, and ultimately we'll forgive Santos. Uh, but Santos doesn't seem to be uh, asking for forgiveness. He seems uh, pretty committed to the, to the lie, the path that he is on. Stay right where you are. We're going to get more of your phone calls coming up in just a minute. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. You can join us at 866-408-7669. We'll continue with more of your calls next. Calisthenics for your brain. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you give me the time, I can easily explain it for you. As, as in when investors are looking for capital and I'm sitting there doing due diligence on the, on the appetite and what they're looking for, right? And we work alongside GPs and LPs to help them place this capital. This is what I was doing, and that's when I worked extensively with these firms and many other firms at my time as I was v vice president of Linkbridge Investors. So this isn't a, this isn't a made-up narrative, but I feel like nobody really wants to sit down and talk about it. Everybody just wants to push me and call me a liar. <laughs> yeah, because cause, cause, cause you're a liar. <laughs> That's why. Um, look, Joe Biden. Joe Biden said he was arrested during a civil rights march. That was a lie. Joe Biden said he spent part of a summer working as a tractor trailer driver. That was a lie. Says he was arrested while trying to meet with Nelson Mandela. Lie. He said his son Bo was killed in Iraq. Lie. Said he graduated the top of his class in college. That was a lie. In fact, he graduated near the bottom. Said he hit a 368-foot home run in one of the congressional baseball games. That was a lie. Said his first job offer was from an Idaho timber company. Say it with me, everybody. That was a lie. He's a liar. Joe Biden is a liar. And I, I, I don't know why we would accept lies from any politician. But here's a guy who ran on his fake resume and hasn't been seated yet, hasn't taken the oath of office yet. And I, I, I at this point, I, if, if I was the Congress, I would say, you know what, send him back. Uh, let's send us someone else. We're not going to go with this Santos guy. My name is Joe Kelly. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. You can join me at 866-408-7669. Let's go out to uh, the, the state that I grew up in. Uh, it's not quite home, but it's pretty darn close. Texas, Sharon is joining us. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Joe. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to say I'm glad you're shining a light on the practice of lying. And, and I wanted to say there is a difference between uh, intentionally speaking false words with uh, intent to deceive and then just a misspeak. And on those grounds, I wanted to just say not all politicians lie, but many politicians lie. Yeah. And there is an establishment of politicians in D.C. that I think are trying to normalize lying, which a lot of callers have pointed out. There is a there's a move afoot to try to normalize lying. And and I'd say our Texas Senator Ted Cruz, I would not put him in the uh, category of a liar, because when when I think of a liar, I think of a practicing liar, not just a occasional misspeak. And if you do misspeak, you correct it, and right. you know that's the thing. But right, there is a difference. You're absolutely right. There is a difference between misspeaking or being mistaken 
and and outright lying. And this guy Santos, I mean, that's he had to he had to look at a piece of paper and say, what am I going to put down for my job history? What am I going to put down for my education? And he had to fabricate lies out of thin air. Right, to, just like to Joe Biden, that. right? Joe Biden has lied multiple times. Well, I'm, that's, uh, they're both the kind of professional politician, and that's how people have learned if you can get into government, you can feed at the public trough, and you just get there any way you want to get there. And that's the Joe Biden model and the um, Hillary Clinton model and the Liz Cheney model. And, and then you've got the ones like Mitch McConnell who are very careful and smooth about their words, but, they have, but they're riddled with deceit. And yeah. so I just want to say they're just variations of it. But, I, again, I say Ted Cruz really works hard to speak truth. And oh, let me please just quote George Washington. He said, religion and morality are the essential pillars of civil society. Well, uh, we are less religious than ever before in the United States. And morality. As, and morality. Is, is shot. Yeah. I mean, if we're if we're willing, I mean, you've heard how many people have defended this guy's lies. Yeah. And I, I just I, I can't I can't be a part of that. I can't defend this guy creating a false persona, which is really what he did. I mean, the guy that got elected wasn't this guy. It was a it was a fictitious guy. But, but Joe, also, it was I think it was the job of the Republican Party to vet this dude before they put him on the ticket. Well, conceivably, it should have been the Democratic Party who vetted him to try to beat him. Uh, the media, I think, in New York should be ashamed that they, they didn't vet him and figure this thing out. Um, I mean, that's, that's all very troubling. Hey, i got to ask you, Sharon, where in Texas are you? Houston. Houston. And, and how's the weather been there? Is it still cold? It's warming up. It's going to be 70 tomorrow. You got power? Yeah. yeah and it, it, held, it held steady, thank the Lord. I'm glad to hear that, Sharon. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, we prayed for our electric grid. <laughs> I would imagine so. Thank you so much. Let's go to Dave in Florida. Dave, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Just uh, just uh, we have about one minute here. Sure. I just wanted to point out possibly the Democrat Party and their minions have laid down this um, uh, gender fluidity and identity Fluidity, and maybe this is just an expression of that's come over into Republican Party, and um, kind of wondering why they're so upset because he he hasn't done anything bigger than a lot of these jokers have. Uh, let's go back to Al Gore and the elephant grass, and when he invented the internet, things like that. Right, but keep in mind rampant. that it, keep in mind that a lot and, of those a lot of those lies that you're referring to were lies people told while they were already in office. Here's here's sure. a guy who lied to get into office, and and to me there's a distinction there. I, I don't I don't think lying sure. is acceptable either way, but this guy literally lied to get into the Congress, and to me that is unacceptable. Sure, I understand, and I agree. However, it, it could be a little dose of their own medicine right back at them, and uh, maybe we should look at them all more carefully. Oh, no doubt we should. Yes, absolutely. Dave, thank you so much. We should be certainly vetting our political candidates much better. I think the media failed. Uh, I think the Democratic Party failed in their opposition research. And, yeah, to an extent, the Republican Party failed to vet him as well. My name is Joe Kelly. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
know there's that awesome week between Christmas and New Year's where a lot of people are kind of taking it easy for those who are going to work. You know, you're just phoning it in. Come on. My name is Joe Kelly, filling in for Brian Kilmeade. You can join me at 866-408-7669. I'm coming to you from the Florida Freedom Zone here in Orlando, Florida, where right now it is sunny and 62. We're going to get to 70 later this afternoon. We'll be back up to the 80s by this weekend. I'm excited to get back to some warmer weather. Uh, The biggest impact we've seen here in Orlando is our water parks have all been closed because it's just too cold uh, to go out to a water park. But typically our golf courses are open year-round. And our water parks are open year-round with, with just a couple of exceptions when it gets really, really cold. And not just Florida cold this week. It has been genuinely cold this week. Coming up at the bottom of the hour here on the Brian Kilmeade Show, we're going to talk to Kevin McCarthy. Hang on. What? No? Yeah. Okay. So not that Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> the other Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, you'll have to wait for the bottom of the hour to figure out with that one. So that'll be coming up at the bottom of the hour. Hang on for that. Right now, though, I want to welcome on to the uh, Brian Kilmeade Show, FBI John. John Yannarelli is, is a, spent 20 years as an FBI special agent, former FBI national spokesperson. He is the author of How to Spot a Terrorist Before It's Too Late and Disorderly Conduct, The Oddities of My 20-Year Life as an FBI Special Agent. Uh, FBI John, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Good morning, Joe. Glad to have you here. And let's, let's start off with Twitter, if we can. Who knew? Who knew so many former FBI personnel were in top leadership positions at Twitter? You're right. Uh, A lot of FBI personnel leave the bureau and seek jobs elsewhere, but it seems like Twitter was a place, no pun intended, that agents were flocking to. And and tell me how how I mean how does that make you feel? And and of course FBI. Look, you've left the FBI, and you're 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 an author. You're a Fox News contributor. I mean, you you you're allowed to do these things. Um, But for these FBI agents to go to Twitter. And then work with the FBI on censoring tweets. That's troublesome. I have no problem with agents going working anywhere that's a legitimate organization upon the retirement. That, that's what we're allowed to do in this right. country. Totally what I agree. Do expect, though, is agents are supposed to maintain standards of integrity and ethics at all times. And I don't think that stops the minute you walk out the door to the FBI. It's who you are as a person. It's what you do throughout your entire life. I have some concerns with the way some of the people have handled themselves. You know, one of the things that we have learned, John, as you well know, is that the FBI paid Twitter when they complied with legal requests. And one wonders if they overpaid Twitter for that. Well, they certainly paid Twitter a lot of money. But, Joe, let me explain one thing. So that is less problematic for me because it's normal procedures. Every time the FBI requests phone records, for example, we don't expect those companies to provide information at their time and expense. It's a normal practice in government. But my bigger question in all this, if the FBI paid $3.5 million to Twitter, there were a ton of records being requested. What were they doing with those records? I haven't heard about any major cases coming down or arrests made as a result. We certainly don't want people just gathering records for the sake of gathering records. It's all supposed to be part of legitimate investigations. And I would expect the taxpayers want to see some people 
arrested for crimes as a result of these investigations. So far, we haven't heard anything. That's the question I want answered. Now, uh, John, a lot of people talk about how how if they've had their Twitter account banned or shadow banned or blocked or suspended that, hey, this is a violation of my First Amendment. Well, if Twitter cancels you, that is not a violation of your First Amendment. But if the FBI, if, if an agent of the federal government bans you from Twitter, then that does become a First Amendment issue. Absolutely. Private companies can do whatever they want. The constitutional protections you have are the government protecting you from the government overreaching. And the issue here with Twitter and the FBI is that apparently there's allegations that the FBI was notifying Twitter when users were not following Twitter's terms of service, although that needs to be vetted out by Twitter. The government, the FBI, has a responsibility if some company is going to be nefariously affected from some activity. The FBI needs to let you know. But terms of service, that's huge overreaching. That's not the kind of thing. It's not the FBI's job to decide who's in compliance with private company policies. So that's an area that the FBI should not be getting into. I mean, it almost sounds like, particularly with the retired FBI agents that work there, I mean, it almost sounds as if uh, that, that the FBI was, was calling the shots, not Twitter, when it comes to their terms of service. Well, again, we want to step back a little bit. Let's keep this in perspective. We've got 12,000 agents, the vast majority of which are doing great work to protect citizens. We're talking about a couple of people that were very cozy with Twitter, certainly retired personnel that had left the bureau under circumstances and then go to work for Twitter. So that's the issue we're dealing with. But it seems that both parties were working together in many ways. And this is all becoming public now because of Elon Musk having released the files. Joe, I would suggest that it's not just Twitter. If the FBI had relationships with one social media company, There's probably other things that other social media, but it's only Elon Musk that's releasing the files. I'd like to see what was the relationship with Facebook and other companies like that. Yeah, because honestly, if if anybody was going to be in violation, I would really be more inclined to think that it was Facebook. If anybody has a greater influence, it's Facebook. I mean, Facebook has more more members than Twitter. I mean, Twitter is basically a place where the media goes. And most Americans don't have Twitter accounts, but most Americans do have Facebook accounts. Uh, I would I would think that Facebook would have been a bigger violator on something like this than Twitter. Right, and that's pure speculation at sure. this point yep. because we don't know. Nobody is releasing information. The other thing that we have to think about here is it, most of our society is getting information and their news, etc., from social media, none of which is vetted. Uh, people have to step back and say, what am I getting? Is it someone's opinion or is it actual news? And it's usually not actual news. It's merely opinion. So – just got to use a little wisdom when you're deciding what you're going to listen to and what you're going to read and take as fact. Right. And to that end, I mean, as a member of the media, uh, you know, we're at least uh, partly to blame as much as I hate to say that, um, you know, but the media needs to do a, a better job of of reporting these issues. I mean, to, to this day, the network news organizations, the corporate media newsrooms uh, have no interest in this whole Twitter 
uh, story. You're right, because uh, a lot of Twitter is doing the work for a lot of media out yep. there. Uh, gone are the days where reporters are hitting the streets and finding stories. Now it's just a matter of opening up their phone and seeing what the public thinks is important today. And that seems to change from day to day. I know that I'm going to pivot here just a little bit. I know that a lot of people still have not wrapped their brains around crypto, what it is. They don't understand crypto. I think most people aren't aren't in crypto. I am. I've got my toe in crypto, and that's about as much as I've got in there is my toe. Uh, and my crypto is doing horrible. Um, so that's why I'm glad it was just my toe that is in there. But when we see this FTX scandal. Uh, which was really a house of cards that was just on the verge of collapse. Uh, now it has collapsed. I mean, sh- should the American people have faith in crypto? Well, crypto is here to stay. So let's make sure we understand the distinction. Crypto and FTX are really two separate things. FTX is nothing more than a scam. People are referring to it as a Ponzi scam, and I would say it, it's an out-and-out fraud. In a Ponzi scheme, at least you have a chance of getting some money if you invest early enough. Here, they were just taking money. They were basically saying all the things you want to hear to make them appear legitimate. And then they were using that money for other purposes and mainly themselves. Likewise, they donated a ton of that money to politicians and other causes Going back to integrity, if people had any sense of integrity, that's stolen money and it needs to be given back so that people can be compensated. But FTX was a crime. Crypto is a currency operation on the Internet, and it continues to thrive. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, you talk about a lack of integrity. Uh, Another way to phrase that would be just an utter lack of shame. We just don't have shame anymore. And that just drives me batty. We're talking to FBI John. You can go to FBIJohn.com. Uh, I do want to talk to you about the the recent targeting of power substations. If you could hold on for just a moment, and and we'll come back and continue our discussion with John Yanarelli, the former FBI agent. And when you go to FBIJohn.com, you can find out more information about him and his uh, his series of books that he has written. Uh, just check it out right now at FBIJohn.com. I'm Joe Kelly at Talk Radio. Joe online. Look for at Talk Radio Joe on Twitter, on Truth Social, on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on pretty much every platform. I even think I'm uh, at Talk Radio Joe on my PS4. I don't have a PS5, but on my PS4, it's at Talk Radio Joe. If you ever want to challenge me to a game there, I just look for Talk Radio Joe. We will continue here with John Yanarelli, uh, FBI John, as we talk about the attack on substations. And then coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Kevin McCarthy. Not that Kevin McCarthy, the other Kevin McCarthy. That'll be coming up at the bottom of the hour, so stay with with us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's very disappointing to see the FBI continue in its downward spiral. What they called misinformation was their own words. What we have revealed from the Twitter dump is their own words, their own emails. Uh, Not to mention the whistleblowers have come forward and told us additional information that the public will be hearing very soon. 
uh, and what they call, who they call conspiracy theorists are conservatives in the media and members of Congress. So the FBI has a huge problem. It's only getting worse. And their confidence level, not only among uh, Republicans in Congress, but among the public, is at an all-time low. That is Congressman James Comer, Republican out of Kentucky, on Hannity last night. And uh, joining me here on The Brian Kilmeade Show is FBI John, John Yannarelli. John, real quick, your take to, to I mean, that, that has to hurt you a bit to hear uh, a U.S. congressman speak of the FBI in such terms. Sure, it's painful. But what's painful is that the people at the top, and again, we're not talking to rank and file here yeah. who are great individuals, but there are certain people at the top that have compromised what the mission of the FBI should be, the integrity, etc. I do think there needs to be changes and the ship needs to be righted so that we can get back to focusing on doing what the FBI does best, keeping people safe. I can tell you that I, in, in the totality of my life, I have known one FBI agent when I lived in Oklahoma. He was a neighbor, and I don't know what kind of FBI agent he was, but he was an outstanding friend and a, a wonderful father and a great husband. I loved his wife and family, uh, and, and he just seemed like salt of the earth. But, of course, I don't know what, how, what kind of job he, he didn't let me go, on, go to work with him, so I have no idea what kind of work he did. Well, I'll tell you, the, the best people in the world I've ever met are the men and women that I've worked with. Uh, I trust them with my life. Uh, so that's the kind of individual. Nobody goes to the FBI because they want to be political. Nobody goes to the FBI for the money, that's for sure. You do it because you believe in this country and you believe in doing the right thing and protecting citizens. Along the way, there are some people at the top that maybe uh, drowned with power. Who knows? Yeah. I think there needs to be a lot of changes, and it all needs to start at the top in the form of leadership. John Yannarelli, what about power substations? We, we keep seeing the more and more cases of these substations getting attacked. And one of the things that troubled me out of North Carolina was officials there said that whoever disabled those, you know, with, through vandalization or terrorism, whatever we want to call it, but uh, the, the North Carolina officials have said whoever did it knew what they were doing. They knew which part of the equipment to attack to disable it. Right. And, you know, this is a great example. You just talked about the FBI. Well, all sectors, there are people in every profession that can go rogue. And clearly you have somebody who has some inside knowledge. Fooling with the power substations can be dangerous business. But it's not the first time we've seen this. This has happened before. The fact that events happened on Christmas Day doesn't surprise me because that's one of the biggest days we see for either this kind of attack or cyber hacking of power substations, mostly because they know, hey, everybody's home celebrating with their family. Very few people are watching what's going on. I think an argument could be made that I am a bit naive at times. I always I always believe in in, in the best out of people, not the worst out of people. And and I, I got the sense early on that this this incident that started in North Carolina was nothing but, you know, some random teenagers misbehaving and, and going out getting drunk and being stupid. Uh, but as as we see more and more cases of this popping up, I guess it could be a copycat, you know, type criminal, uh, or it could be part of an organized crime uh, uh, issue. We've had organizations that are uh, concerned with the environment. Uh, the Earth Liberation Front used to be very active in targeting things like this. So it could be something more organized. 
and again, I think you're right. I think most people are good. I think most people conduct themselves properly. It's that fractional percentage. That's the criminal in the world. That's the person who wants to hurt others. And that's why we need to be vigilant. And along with law enforcement, the FBI, keep our eyes open. You see something that you think might be unusual, report it and have it checked out. And hopefully we can avoid things like this that not having power operating in Carolina during this incredibly cold winter mm. can be very dangerous. There is a there's a video on YouTube. Perhaps you've seen it of a power generator, a pretty large power generator that got hacked into as part of an experiment to see if it could be done. If you could hack into a a, a electricity generator type device, and all they did was change one piece of the binary code, changing you know like a one to a zero, and within minutes. That generator started hiccuping and it started, uh, you know, belching out black smoke and uh, and it completely crippled the machine. So not only are our power systems susceptible to damage uh, on location, but also cyber damage. You're right, Joe. And, you know, here's an opportunity to we talked a lot about the FBI today. Let's talk about some of the good things. The fact is that our power grids are under attack by hackers, rogue nations, all those countries that don't like us. Meanwhile, there's teams of FBI agents who are specially cyber trained that are working against this, not only to detect these types of acts, but to do the notifications to companies and to help push back to prevent these things from happening. We need these people on the front lines because this is not going to change. This is the world of future terrorism. Think about it. You don't have to blow up buildings anymore. You can just sit behind a computer mm. and take down power grids and do far more damage. You Thank can find out. We have people in the FBI who know how to deal with these problems. Find out more about John Yonarelli. Go to FBIJohn.com. John, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Have a great New Year's. Thank you so much. We'll continue. Kevin McCarthy joins us next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Stay right there. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Where the hell is this guy? He's on our nose. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your savior speaking. Please fasten your seatbelts, return your tray tables to their locked and upright positions, <laughs> and prepare for landing. Not going to lie, I get chills just hearing that cut again from Top Gun Maverick. Hey, it's Joe Kelly in for Brian Kilmeade today, and what has become, honestly, kind of an annual tradition is me filling in for Brian and then talking to our friend Kevin McCarthy, uh, who is a Fox News contributor and movie critic. Uh, we seem to talk every year about this time. And Kevin, welcome. We're glad to have you on again. Joe, great to be back on with you. And uh, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. And uh, obviously, uh, yeah, this has been a 
a heck of a year for for movies and cinema. So I have a, a lot to say, and uh, and I'm very excited to break it down with you, man. Would you say that this is the the first somewhat normal year since 2019 in cinema? Yeah, I mean it's interesting because <clears throat> the question now is like what is normal anymore, anyways. But yeah, this this particular year we saw obviously with the clip you just played with Top Gun Maverick and um, and with Avatar right now. Uh, I mean, even though you might see stories about like box office being down from X amount of year to X amount of year or whatever, but in terms of where we are, I mean, you have to remember when the pandemic started and it obviously started to get, continue to get worse and worse, there was a time period where, you know, and I want to clarify that this is obviously not the most important thing to be thinking about, obviously, but in terms of, you know, the business of movies, there was a thought process of like, are movie theaters going to survive? Are there right. are, are people going to want to go back to the movies? And uh, obviously what we're seeing now is that there are certain types of films like Top Gun Maverick and Avatar that just ridiculously need to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I mean, that and, and that to me is a, just a testament to the idea of like you still can't replicate the, the theatrical experience at home. Top Gun is a theater film. It still works at home, but it's but it's a theatrical experience you have to see. Now let's look at the box office for, for the year that we're about to wrap up, and we'll just do the top yeah. five movies. So we got number five, Minions, The Rise of Gru, animated movie from Universal. Uh, didn't see yeah. that one. That's the only one that I didn't see. Uh, and then number four, Jurassic World Dominion. Number three, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse. Two is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And number one, of course, Top Gun Maverick. And then you mentioned yeah. Avatar, The Way of the Water. I know that that was an expensive movie, long-anticipated, long-anticipated movie. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, feel like, I feel like it's lost some of the magic because it has been so long. Those who maybe loved the original back, you know, 13 years ago may not, you know, have the same interests t- today. So what's interesting is the the numbers that you just read obviously are uh, the current top five of the year. But remember, Avatar opened up on December 16th. Now, as we are talking right now, the movie just crossed a billion dollars uh, last night. Um, and, it, and that's only, what, like 13 days, not even 13 days into its release or so. Um, so I don't remember. I'm, I'm, my math isn't great at the moment, but I, I'm almost certain it's less than two weeks. So for a film to make a billion dollars now, keep in mind, Top Gun Maverick has made $1.4 or so, close to $1.5. So this is going to pass Top Gun Maverick in a matter of, you know, maybe a couple weeks from now, maybe even sooner than that. So I think Avatar – Obviously, it was a huge deal, and it still is the highest-grossing movie of all time, $2.9 billion um, as that, that movie made. And obviously, James Cameron has the number one and number three slot of the uh, most uh, of the highest-grossing films ever with Titanic at three. Avengers Endgame is number two. Um, but yeah, I think what you're going to start seeing, though, is Avatar is going to probably make somewhere between – I read somewhere between $1.6 and $2 billion. Um, so it is – definitely a huge movie the reason why again it's not in that top five right now is because you know it's only been out for less than two weeks so but did, didn't, um, we hear, didn't we hear james cameron say that it's got to clear like two or two and a half billion to to make a profit i kept i keep hearing that story uh, as well i don't think that's 
accurate. I, I don't know. Again, I don't. I can't speak to how much money they spent on promotion and everything. But listen, this movie cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make. He's already basically shot the third one. Um, I think the one that's in theaters now, and I, I want, I want, I want to say this lightly, was shot about four years ago. Um, now I don't know how much of that went into reshoots and, and effects and things like that. But he's been working on this for a long time. I and mean, three is essentially shot from what i understand i think part of four has already been shot uh and i know they plan on a five and then possibly they're talking about six and seven i mean this is wow this is a friend i know and and but but think about it this way if this movie makes two billion dollars which i think it possibly could i mean it's past a billion already in its first two weeks um you know we're talking about one of the most successful franchises of all time i mean this is 13 years later since the first Avatar, the technical achievements they made on this film are monumental and absolutely astounding. Um, Like, I've never seen 3D look like this. Also, I'm not a 3D person, but when you shoot a movie in 3D and you actually use it for depth of field rather than things popping out at you, you actually create the world that you can put your hand into the screen and live in it. Um, That's kind of what he's dealing with here. This is super nerdy, but I think you'll appreciate this. This is a movie that was shot with double the frame rate that normal movies are Mm. shot. And what that means is, you know, the general idea when you watch a film, you're watching a film at 24 frames a second. What that means is 24 individual pictures put together to create one second of motion. That's a motion picture. So over the years, you've gotten used to 24. That's what a movie looks like. Your eyes in real life, I read this somewhere once that your eyes in real life see closer to about 60 frames. So when this movie was shot in 48, that means it's closer to the way your eyes view the real world. So then on top of that, you have actors performing every one of these characters. So not if you see a character underwater gliding on a whale, that's an actor underwater wearing a suit with dots on their body holding on to a gimbal and being being, uh, thrust through the water. And then the performance is created from that moment. The CGI character comes out of that. So what you're watching is, it's probably some of the most groundbreaking visual effects, but you're in 3D, you're at a higher frame rate. It just looks outstanding. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. Kevin, I got to tell you, you're disappointing me because I had no plans on going to see Avatar The Way of Water. And now I feel like you've just convinced me to go see it and see it in 3D. Oh, Joe, it'll blow your mind. So uh, (laughs) for people listening, for people listening to this, so I have to tell you, Terminator 2, James Cameron's been a far part of my life since I was eight years old. So yeah. I, he's always been on the cutting edge of technology, obviously, from the Abyss and Aliens and uh, and T2 and Titanic and tr- I love True Lies. Um, this is – I didn't love the first Avatar. This one is so monumentally better in terms of emotional range and character development but also the technical aspect of it. Also, at the same time – like you've never seen anything like this before. And it it is so jarringly insane that you're, it takes like 15, 20 minutes for your mind to get used to what you're watching. It's good. It's going to like shock your system. for Fine, a second Kevin. Because, fine. I'll go yeah. see it. What do you want? Oh, and, and Joe, Joe, when you're, when you go see it, uh, see it in IMAX 3d oh. uh, that, and that should give you like the, the higher frame rate, but uh, um, this is the last thing I'll mention about Avatar, but just because I'm a, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. There's a movie coming out next July called Oppenheimer. Can't obviously, wait. On J- yeah, and so there is a special IMAX trailer 
that plays only on Avatar. It's not available online. Um, and I'm, right now I'm reading the book. It's based on I won a Pulitzer Prize called American Prometheus. Um, and it is just going to be absolutely incredible. So if you're a fan of Nolan, you like Dunkirk and Interstellar and Tenet, you'll be able to get a really awesome preview of Oppenheimer. We're talking to film critic Kevin McCarthy here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. And, Kevin, I want to I ask you not about the top box office films but about your favorite films. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we take a break? We'll come back, and we will, we will talk about your favorite films of the year, some of which I have seen, some of which I have never in my life heard of. And, and, and I, can't wait, I can't wait to break that down. So y'all stay right where you are. We will continue with film critic Kevin McCarthy on The Brian Kilmeade Show coming up next. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly, and we're talking to film critic Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin, during the break, I I, uh, went on to Fandango, and I bought my tickets for later today to go see uh, Avatar The Way of Water. So I blame you for that, okay? <laughs> and, and, and I'm, gonna, uh, I'm, I'm very gonna, excited for you to see it. I'm going to call you tonight, and we're going to break it down later tonight, okay? Now, Let uh, me know. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you right. think. And again, it, it's, not, it's not the greatest movie you'll ever see in your life, but it, you've never seen anything like it from a technical standpoint. It's fantastic. So I want our listeners to, to hear your personal top ten movies, starting with number ten. Okay, so I, I do got to clarify that this is a list of my favorites. So I, I, I know that there's going to be people out there who are going to be like, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. This is a personal list. Right, um, nothing is and, fun for the whole family. Right, and there's things on here that I think are going to be interesting. The first one, my, my number 10 counting backwards is Clerks 3. So um, the reason why I have that on my list is because it is uh, – I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. I grew up uh, – when I was uh, a teenager, his films really kind of were pivotal to me along with Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Uh, and so he made these movies going up that I loved, Clerks 1, Clerks 2, and Dogma, and Mall Rats and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and Dogma. Um, and so this was just another – Clark's film that I loved. It was emotional. It was more dramatic than his earlier films. Uh, I just love spending time with these two characters, Dante and Randall. Uh, so for me, I love this movie, but I also understand why if somebody put it on and didn't know Kevin's work, that it probably just wouldn't land. So sure. I would maybe watch it if you're a fan of his movies. If not, it probably won't work for you, but it was my number 10 of the year. Number nine, Scream. Didn't that come out in the 1980s or 90s? You're talking about my number nine is Scream. Yeah. So the reason why this is on here is so the again this is a, another uh, personal uh, moment. The first Scream came out in '96. Wes Craven. This remember if you guys remember the it had one of the greatest uh, opening sequences of all time. I mean, yeah. I would argue it's near the quality of not maybe yeah, kind of near the quality of what uh, Hitchcock did with Janet Lee at the beginning of Psycho, uh, with having Wes Craven kill off Drew Barrymore's character in that first sequence. Um, so. Scream went on to make sequels, and and they were fine, but they were nowhere near as good as the first one. And then Wes Craven, unfortunately, passed away. So these two young filmmakers who were fans of Wes Craven's work decided to continue the franchise. And generally speaking, I thought this was going to be a bad idea without Wes Craven, but it was the best Scream movie I'd seen since the first one. Um, wow. And it brought back a lot of legacy characters, Courtney Cox, uh, David Arquette. 
uh, Nev Campbell. Again, if you love Scream, this is definitely a modern version of the the meta things that they were dealing with in the first movie. Remember, the first one was like it was self-aware horror. It was like it was aware of the horror genre. It was like commenting on Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. It was cool to see that in a in a in a horror movie. So now they're taking it even further in the modern age and using technology and what cell phones could bring to a, a horror sequence. So. I loved it, but again, it comes with the idea of loving the original Scream as well. Now, number eight was a film that I absolutely loved. Yeah, and honestly, this movie, um, this was special because, first of all, it's called The Adam Project, and this is this is uh, Ryan Reynolds and Jennifer Garner and uh, Zoe Saldana, um, and it's really a special film. It's Ryan's character kind of travels back to his younger self, and as his older self is interacting with his younger self and they're trying to save the world essentially from yeah. some bad guys. And, um, but Mark Ruffalo plays his father and Jennifer Garner plays his mother. And there's sequences in this film that uh, I just think are astounding, especially there's a bar sequence, Jennifer Garner, where he's sitting there. Oh my gosh. And, yes. You know, right. So, you know, what I'm talking about the, and the, Mark the, the film has heart. I just love the heart of that film. And, and Ryan Reynolds doesn't have a lot of range. At least we've not seen a lot of range. Ryan Reynolds plays Ryan Reynolds better than any Ryan Reynolds could possibly play Ryan Reynolds. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's a, he's a fun character. It's I, 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 how do you not like Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, and I love Deadpool. He has a, uh, another great movie out right now called Spirited on um, – on Apple TV Plus with Will Ferrell, which is great. I actually think Ryan's a really great actor. I, I think he uh, and like the Deadpool films are obviously fun. Uh, Spirited will take you on a different path. That he sings and dances in that one, so it's very different from his earlier work. But um, but yeah, I love the Adam Project. It's on Netflix. So number seven, we'll skip over. It's Avatar: The Way of Water. I think we talked about that one enough. Number six, The Fablemans. Never heard of it. Oh wow! Oh yeah, this is uh, okay. This is Steven Spielberg's latest film. Um, he directed a film based on his life. Um, so basically, the if you go back and watch ET or Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you'll always see uh, a lot of references to families, broken families, families that are dealing with divorce and and separation, and 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 those were all things that he had dealt with as a kid and unknowingly he was kind of working through those things psychologically by making films like films was the way that he was a was a was able to understand issues in his life that's kind of what the movie kind of deals with is him at a young age but they call it the fablemans because it's the characters are named like sammy fableman and his parents are played by paul dano and michelle williams but so it's not spielberg We're talking to Kevin McCarthy here, film critic. And, Kevin, we only have a couple of moments left, and I want to be able to get to some of these movies. Uh, So let's go to to number three, The Whale. That's Brandon Fraser's big comeback. Yeah, so basically, yeah, and this is why I know we're rushing through. The Top Gun Maverick was number five. The Banshees of Inishirin was number four, and that's the Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson movie that's available on HBO Max. The Whale is Brendan Gleeson's comeback. As you mentioned, this is Darren Aronofsky, who directed Requiem for a Dream and Pie and Mother and Black Swan. Um, This is a phenomenal film about a severely overweight man who uh, sees the end of his life coming and wants to reconcile with his daughter before he passes. Um, It is a masterful look at 
uh, life and the uh, and the idea of people really being amazing. It's simultaneously one. Kevin, of we got we got thirty we got thirty seconds left. Kevin, can we can we get to okay. the number one? Yes. All right. You're... So yeah, real quick. Number two is number two is everything, everywhere, all at once, and then number one is Nope. That's Jordan Peele's new film. He did Get Out and Us. It's a profound film about the way we about the way our society uh, essentially exploits tragedy. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said in this film about brother-sister relationships. It's just beautifully shot. It's a, it's a, it's a love letter to film over digital. Um, and it's a brilliant performance from Kiki Palmer as well as Daniel Kaluuya. I love this movie. You can, number one of the year. I saw it four times in theaters. Wow. Yeah. You can follow Kevin McCarthy at Kevin McCarthy TV. Kevin, we'll check in next year. Thank you so much. Joe, thank you so much. Happy New Year. Enjoy Avatar. Hey, I'm Joe Kelly filling in for Brian Kilmeade. It has been an absolute treat for me to be here with you. I hope you have a wonderful and safe uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And, of course, uh, be sure and stay with Brian Kilmeade uh, right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.